Have you ever heard of spontaneous human combustion? The death from a fire originating without an apparent external ignition source and the belief that the fire starts within the victim's body. In 1951, 67-year-old Mary Reeser died bizarrely in her mid-century ranch-style apartment home, a fire that consumed her entire body but strangely did not ignite the newspapers scattered nearby. What caused Mary Reeser to die in such a bizarre manner in her own home that the FBI was so interested in the case? Was her death due to spontaneous human combustion or was it something else? Welcome to Nightmare Houses. Mary Hinkle Hardy was born on March 8, 1884 in Columbia, Pennsylvania. On November 29, 1905, she married Dr. Richard Reeser in her hometown when she was 21 years old. Her husband, Dr. Reeser, graduated from the University of Pennsylvania and worked as a physician before the couple got married. The couple stayed in Columbia and raised their family. They only had one child that survived childhood. In May 1910, the couple welcomed Richard Reeser Jr., for the couple, life seemed to revolve around their only son, who also became a doctor. On May 30, 1947, Mary's husband of nearly 42 years died at their home in Columbia. It was also in 1947 that Raymond E. Wagner, a local developer, purchased a vacant lot in an exclusive northeast neighborhood in St. Petersburg, Florida, and built a one-story, ranch-style apartment building. The building is linear and symmetrical, with shallow U-shaped ends and a courtyard in the middle where primary access is gained. The bottom of the structure has a stone veneer and a clapboard-style, white-painted upper portion with a low-pitched, hipped roof. After completion, Wagner sold the complex for profit, complete with six furnished units, in July 1949. A newly retired couple, Mr. and Mrs. D. L. Rowe Crane, formerly of Columbia, Missouri, purchased the mid-century ranch-style six-unit apartment building on Cherry Street Northeast in St. Petersburg. The couple likely thought it was the perfect retirement opportunity and investment property. The Cranes opened the Crane Apartments in July 1949. The apartment complex had six total units. Five were regular rentals, either available weekly or monthly, and one owner's unit. The five apartments came furnished with a living room, bedroom, tile bathroom, and a kitchen with a dining area. Initially, one room served as a hotel room. The owner's unit was more extensive and had a private porch and attached garage. The Cranes only owned the apartment building for one year. The following season, the couple sold the property to former United States Senator William A. Stanfill, an attorney and businessman from Lexington, Kentucky. Newly retired, he and his wife, May, purchased the apartment building, intending on living there, as did the Cranes, and renamed the complex Alamanda Apartments in September 1950. However, much like the Cranes, the Stanfills would only own the ranch-style apartment building for one season. In April 1951, the property was again purchased, this time by Pansy M. Carpenter, a local woman. In 1950, Mary Reeser moved to St. Petersburg, Florida, where her son had recently moved with his family, his wife, and three children. 
By the summer of 1951, Mary was living at the furnished Alamanda Apartments, apartment number one, on Cherry Street in St. Petersburg, Florida. Besides the new owner and landlord, Pansy, no one else lived in the building. While Mary was living in Florida, her day often revolved around her son, Dr. Reeser Jr. She was known to get up before 6 a.m. and listen to the radio while she was washing her clothes or doing other chores around the apartment. She would typically eat breakfast between 7 to 8 a.m. and then wait for her son to come over for his morning coffee around 10 a.m. She would then leave to do errands for her son and usually return home by 4 p.m. She would nap until dinner, which she ate at her son's house. By 8 p.m., she was usually back in her apartment listening to the radio until it was time for her to go to sleep. On Sunday, July 1st, 1951, Mary came home to her apartment around 4.30 p.m. and appeared upset. That afternoon, she went to her son's house for Sunday dinner and babysat her youngest grandchild, while Dr. and Mrs. Reeser took their two older children to the beach. However, she seemed not to be feeling well or was depressed, so Dr. and Mrs. Reeser left the beach about an hour earlier and brought Mary Reeser home earlier than usual. Her daughter-in-law came over around 5 or 5.30 p.m. and stayed for a short visit to see how she was feeling. Around 8 p.m. that evening, Dr. Reeser and his daughter Nancy came over but only stayed for a few minutes. When Dr. Reeser Jr. last saw her, his mother was sitting in her easy chair with two fans blowing on her. She had not eaten dinner that evening and mentioned she had taken two seconds that night. She was wearing a rayon nightdress and black satin slippers and was smoking a cigarette when he left that night. Pansy spoke to Mary briefly before Dr. Reeser arrived, or just after he left. It's unclear when. When the women talked, Mary mentioned she was a little upset and had taken the two sleeping pills and would take two more later. Pansy believed Mary was upset over a family quarrel, but she was disappointed about taking a trip to Pennsylvania. After moving to Florida, Mary quickly realized that she was often homesick and started to wonder if she had made a mistake. She did not like the hot summer months and began looking for an apartment back home. At around 5 a.m. the following day, July 2nd, Pansy woke up smelling smoke in her unit. There was a defective water pump in the garage, so assuming that was the source, she woke up, turned it off, and went back to sleep. About an hour later, Pansy got up and brought in the morning paper, noticing the smoke smell was gone. Around 8 a.m. that morning, a telegram arrived from Western Union for Mary Reeser. Pansy went to Mary's apartment and tried the doorknob, but found it unusually hot. Worried, she saw some men painting and working across the street. She summoned them for help, and they opened the door, took a quick look around in the apartment, and quickly closed the door. It was then that Pansy called the fire department and Dr. Reeser Jr. When Dr. Reeser arrived, authorities told him not to enter the apartment building, but nothing else. The fire chief was utterly stunned by the scene that he discovered. Only the charred remains, minus a shrunken skull, a piece of spine, and a foot with a slipper still attached, were all that remained of Mary's body. All of the electrical outlets were working fine, though some had melted slightly. The switch nearest where Mary had been was melted entirely and not working. An electric clock in the room had stopped at 4.20 a.m., but when authorities plugged it in at Pansy's apartment, it worked fine. The facts of the case quickly spread to the newspapers. 
The corner where Mary's body was found was hot enough to destroy Mary's body and most of the chair, but the paint on the wall behind her was not cracked or scorched. The living room rug was burned only underneath where the chair had been. Soot and smoke blackened the upper walls and ceiling of the room, but there was no evidence of smoke near the floor or below the table level. Light switches were melted and buckled, but outlets a few feet lower on the walls were intact and working. Candles on a windowsill near the hot corner had melted, but their wicks remained upright in the holders. A pile of newspapers on a water heater immediately behind the hot corner were not damaged. Bed sheets a few feet away were not burned, smoke damaged, or even dirty. All electricity to the kitchen was off. A wall-mounted gas heater was secured and off. Mary's cause of death was unknown, but a quick, intense fire consumed her while she was sitting in her armchair in her apartment. Different theories began to spread about the cause of fire. One of the more prominent was that Mary had been struck by lightning. Shortly after her death, police received an unsigned letter addressed to the quote-unquote Chief of Detectives, spelled C-H-E-I-F, and detectives, D-E-T-E-C-T-I-F-F-S, which said, quote-unquote, a ball of fire came through the open window and hit her. I seen it happen. Authorities likely dismissed this tip. Another theory was that her body must have been soaked in ether and or alcohol. The FBI quickly learned about the case and took over the investigation. On July 7, 1951, the St. Petersburg police sent 14 pieces of evidence to the FBI laboratory for review. Included in the evidence were glass fragments, six small objects believed to be teeth, metal from near the body, fibers from which they believed was Mary's nightgown, bone fragments, cotton from the chair, charred wood, charred legs from the end table, a piece of the rug, unburned section of the rug heavily soaked with a greasy substance, ashes, a shoe, and chair springs. J. Edgar Hoover, head of the FBI, was directly involved in the investigation into Mary's death. J. R. Riker, chief of police, specifically requested that the FBI provide any information or theories into how a human body could be so destroyed and the fire contained to such a small area with such minor damage done to the building and the furniture in the room. On July 31st, 1951, the FBI released its report. The results were that no accelerants were found, and the greasy substance was body fat. They stated that the lack of widespread damage in the apartment was most likely due to the fire smoldering rather than burning. The hot air rose and formed a layer that never came into contact with the items below the four-foot level. The FBI believed that a piece of metal found near the body was most likely the remains of a cigarette lighter. The final result of the report was that Mary most likely accidentally lit herself on fire while smoking a cigarette. Mary's death certificate was finally signed following the release of the FBI report. The cause of death of the 67-year-old woman was officially listed as simply accidental. The wick effect is the most current explanation for cases of spontaneous human combustion. In the wick effect, after a person has caught fire, they keep burning from their fat. The clothing on the body acts as the wick, like an inside-out candle. Because it's usually a slow burn, nothing else other than the items in the immediate area are affected. 
Mary Reeser had a noticeable amount of body fat on her person, was wearing a rayon nightgown, a highly flammable material, was smoking a cigarette, and took at least two sleeping pills. In early November 1951, several months after the incident, Pansy Carpenter sold 1200 Cherry Street to Mr. and Mrs. O'Clark Leder. The Leaders were originally from Champaign, Illinois, and Mr. Leader was a professor of journalism at the University of Illinois for 22 years before retiring. The following owners, Mr. and Mrs. Joseph L. Montaigne, purchased the investment property in January 1955. Mr. LaMontagne had been stationed in St. Petersburg when he was younger, and 25 years after service, he wanted to retire there. Again, the property came with all units fully furnished. Over the years, the complex changed hands several more times, but it continues to serve as an apartment building and looks remarkably similar to what it did in 1951. Today, you would never know it was the site of a strange and unusual death. So mysterious, in fact, the FBI investigated what was seemingly one of the first cases of spontaneous human combustion, and today the cause of death is still under speculation. Pansy Carpenter died in March 1975 at the age of 85 in St. Petersburg. She was and continued to be an apartment owner and community leader after the strange events in July 1951. Dr. Reeser Jr. continued to have an impressive and successful career following his mother's death. He died at age 87 in 1998. Dr. Reeser Jr. claimed that following his mother's death, he sensed her ghost and occasionally would smell her perfume, Le Bleu, at his house in St. Petersburg in the guest room where he kept her furniture. Mary's ashes were released following the FBI investigation and buried next to her husband's grave in Columbia, Pennsylvania. But what happened to Mary Reeser that early morning? We know she was last seen in the armchair in her living room, and that is where she likely fell asleep. She took two or four barbiturates that night on an empty stomach. In the morning, she was found burned almost completely to ashes with little damage done to the interior of her apartment. It turned out the telegram received the morning she was discovered was good news from a friend in Pennsylvania, letting her know that her trip had been arranged and an apartment was available. Mary could go back home. Perhaps if this news had come a little sooner, Mary wouldn't have taken sleeping pills on an empty stomach that night. She may have passed out while smoking a cigarette, thus igniting her flammable nightgown. But what if Dr. Reeser Jr. gave her something and she couldn't wake up? and her ignition was an unintended consequence. Or, what if Mary intentionally took too much so she'd overdose, and again, the fire was accidental? It seems most likely that the fire occurred early that morning, around the 4.20 a.m. mark, which gives about 40 minutes for Pansy, who appears to have lived on the opposite side of the building to smell the smoke. Mary likely was serving as her own wick, as the FBI concluded, with her body fat serving as fuel for the fire. She likely never woke up because she probably couldn't, heavily sedated, or even already dead, and it seemed to happen very quickly, perhaps several hours at the most. At the time, Mary was five foot seven and weighed about 170 pounds, and was considered plump. Was Mary Reeser a victim of the wick effect, rather than some paranormal anomaly? The wick effect wouldn't explain the shrunken skull, which usually explodes in such hot temperatures. 
Did she spontaneously self-combust with her nightgown and own fat fueling the fire? The cigarette Mary was smoking had a more significant impact, as it was likely the source of ignition. Mary Reeser died in a fire she herself likely fueled in her apartment, leaving only charred remains and many questions behind. Besides the owners, nothing has seemingly changed to the apartment building Mary Reeser once lived in and ultimately died. The one-story complex still exists on the same site in Cherry Street, but the trees are much taller now. Nothing unusual or bizarre has seemingly occurred there since. Thank you for listening to Nightmare Houses. For more information, including photos and references, please visit www.nightmarehouses.com. Until next time, goodbye.